morning, Christ Temple North. How are we doing this morning? Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. All right. I'm doing pretty good myself. Um, I feel the spirit in here this morning, and I'm loving this. Um, DJ, if you, if you don't go to Bible study, make sure you wake yourself up an hour early. Some of you have to be at work at that time anyways. It's just another day for you. Get to Bible study and get what you need because I was smiling the whole time DJ was presenting this morning, mainly because it sets up exactly what we're going to be talking about today. And we didn't talk about it beforehand. This is how the Spirit works. He prepared what he had to prepare, I prepared what I had to prepare, and it syncs perfectly together. And I love that. Do yourself a favor. Get up an extra hour early. It's not that bad. Drink an extra cup of coffee, okay? Get here. You're, you're missing out if you don't. But I'm also, my heart's warm today because I see some friendly faces. I see some family friends. I see my brother-in-law who's come back. Um, he's, he's been gone for the last month serving in the military, doing his training. So I'm so glad he's back. I know his girls are, are super excited, you know, one's clinging to him right now. Um, but I'm also excited at the youth pastor because our kids go back to school this week, right? Some of your parents are like, oh, thank God, right? You're just like, thank you, Jesus. They're going back to school. They've been driving me crazy this summer. You go to you know, Walmart and Target, you see all those back to school um, ads and all the sales that are going on, and I'm thinking, Jesus, I don't have to go back to school. I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not there anymore. But the school, new school year brings hope. Take yourself back to when you were in middle school and high school. It brings hope. You go to your, with your parents to go back to school shopping. You get the new outfits laid out the day before, right? Laid out. You ready. You know the first week exactly what you're going to wear. Those new shoes you've been keeping up. Those new sneakers. You got, you got your new polo shirt. You are ready. You are decked out to the nine. Ready. Because the new year brings new excitement. Maybe you get to see some of your friends you haven't seen all summer. And you're excited to see them. You've been talking yourself up like that this year. I'm going to talk to that girl I have a crush on. I promise I'm going to... I'm going to, I'm going to Make sure I do that. And then another year goes by, you never talk to her. <laughs> but you got new lockers. You're texting or calling your friends to see what classes they are in because you're hoping that they are in the same classes you are in. It brings new excitement. Parents are excited because they're out of their hair, but you're also they're one step closer to graduation and getting out of your head permanently. Um, <laughs> But you're also excited for them to push themselves, learn new skills, new talents they might have. And so there's an excitement around back to school year. And the reason why if you have loving parents is because your parents believe in you that you want to do something great. You're going on to do something great with your life. And our great, each person's great looks different, but that's the hope. That's the hope for Christ of the North, is that we build these young men and young women up so they may do something great to help impact this world. And that's a daunting task. 
Today we're going to look at a man, Nehemiah, who set out to do something great. Had the audacity to do something great. And the lessons we can learn from this example ring true today. First, however, we must understand the circumstances which Nehemiah was growing up in and where he was at. During the time that we, we catch Nehemiah, there's two books that go, coincide with each other, Ezra and Nehemiah. They were actually written together. If you go back in the, you know, long time ago, those books were actually together, but now they've been separated. So Ezra and Nehemiah take a, takes a look at three men, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. At this particular time that we catch this story, Jerusalem has been destroyed, and God's people, Israel, is on the run. The Babylonians have come in, taken over Jerusalem. They burned a lot of the city down, and God's people are living in exile. Fifty years later, after the fall of Jerusalem, Zerubbabel comes along in Ezra chapters 1 through 6, and he brings about leading a group of people back into Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. The temple's been destroyed. Zerubbabel takes it upon himself to help rebuild God's temple. And he has a lot of issues that, and challenges that face him. Then we get later into Ezra, and we meet Ezra. And he leads, it, about 50 years after Zerubbabel, he leads the people back into Jerusalem to build up the community. He starts teaching the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. He starts teaching and getting them back to their foundation. He brings God's people back to their foundation of where they need to be at. Isaac was talking about Walmart and schools and stuff. He talked about, he joked about a very true statement, sad statement, that sometimes that might be the two worst jobs to have in America right now because safety is on a high alert. Some, some of us need to get back into Ezra and get back to our roots to rebuild our communities back up. However, in each story, both men make some personal mistakes. God gives them a task. They make some personal mistakes away from God, and it falls apart. Zerubbabel can't get along with other people. He just, he's one of those people that just rubs people the wrong way, and eventually his plans crumble. Ezra comes up with a racist decree divorce decree. Let's call it what it is. You think this is something new? What's going on in the United States? It's been going on in the Bible forever. Nothing new under the sun. Okay? So this is where we pick up in Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. It says, In the month of Keslev, in the twelfth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah and some, uh, with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. 
For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I understand what Nehemiah is going through because sometimes I watch the news, I mourn. I mourn. Certain stories get to me more than others. The one that recently got to me was uh, the guy that cut through the gate and shot that garlic festival. And a six-year-old child gets killed. They hit me hard because my niece had just turned seven. Same age. I can't understand that kind of evil. Certain things touch home. Oftentimes, when we want to do something great, figure out what deeply troubles you. What deeply troubles you helps motivate a lot of the people that you'll see in the Bible, but also allows us to persevere in order to do good things. Because our suffering and what deeply troubles us allows us to continue to persevere and push through those things. Some of your motivations may be personal experience and the hardships. It's interesting how many of my kids that I teach on a weekly basis are from divorced families, single parent homes. How many of them are athletes? How many of them do well in school? It's amazing to me because that's exactly what I was when I was their age. And I'm sensitive to that. I'm sensitive that, to that and their hardships and their pain because I understand what they're going through. So your personal experiences and hardships that you experience in life should hopefully motivate you to make sure that no one else is affected the same way. Some of the interests and things that motivate you might just be your general interests of what you like to do. I have loved technology my entire life. I've been a tinkerer since I was born. If I was born in a different generation, I'd be tinkering with cars. But my generation, we got computers and stuff. And throughout my entire childhood, I can track every single moment of every single decision that I made has led me to where I'm at today in my current job. Because I was so interested in it, I was willing to take classes outside of the curriculum because I just wanted to find out more. I was hungry for it. it gave me some excitement to learn about these things. I didn't know at the time what God had planned for me, but I understand now. So some of what your motivation may be is what God instilled in you to motivate yourself. Or you might have some knowledge that you see and you're like, there's got to be a better way. I had the knowledge, there's got to be a better way to do this. These are all qualities that God uniquely gives each and every single one of us. These are qualities that Jesus Christ himself had. The same qualities. Jesus was in the temple at 12 years old. He got lost. They had to go backtrack and find out where Jesus was. And when they got to him, his parents were mad screaming at him. And he's like, don't you know how to be about my father's business? I'm in the temple. I'm at where I'm supposed to be. He knew at 12 what he was supposed to be doing. And his life exemplified that. 
He was on a mission. We see here, Nehemiah was so distraught that he wept, mourned, fasted, and prayed for an extended period of time. When something affects you to your core, you have two choices. Bury it or ignore it or do something about it. That's your choice. You can ignore it and, and hope someone else takes care of it, or you can get off your butt and do something about it. We'll see what Nehemiah chooses. Verse 5. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. And in order to do something great, you have to be burden-free. You have to be burden-free. Period. It is hard to do something great if you have a lot of baggage that you're carrying with yourself. Because in order to do something great, you're going to have stuff that gets added on to you. There's going to be circumstances situations you have to overcome, opposition you have to overcome, hurdles you have to overcome. It's hard to do it with a 25-pound weighted vest of your own baggage and sin. This is what Nehemiah does, is by confessing his sins in front of God, he unloads his burdens. The greater the task, the greater the burden. Why make it so much harder on yourself? How many men do we have to tune in to see on the news that get caught up in a situation because they are living a life of sin and their sin catches up to them and it buries the task God gave them? It's too many people we see. We saw one commit suicide in the jail cell last night because of the burdens of sin that he chose to live in now when he said to deal with the consequences, it ruined his life. When you are tired, worried, stressed out, when you're trying to do something great, if you don't have new habits and have built yourself up to resist those things, when that stress comes, you're going to revert back to what you know. Yeah. It buries too many people that God has sent to do great things. How many priests and ministers we have to see get in trouble? Because they haven't dealt with their burdens and their sins, confessed them, dealt with them, got around by people that hold them accountable, and it ends up bearing what God set out for them. I hope when I'm 60, 70 years old and retired, I can look back and say, I'll live burden-free. Interesting that he, he confessed the family's sins. I'm not sure what he went through, but maybe he understood that there was an addiction sin in his family 
And he had to confess those things because he knew the hurdle that he wanted to deal with his life. We know it's hereditary, some of these sins that we deal with. I look at the men in my family, I understand that sex is a huge obstacle we have to overcome. My family is riddled with kids outside of wedlock. Everywhere. I struggled with that myself growing up. Now that I got some understanding in Pastor Fields and some men around me, I know I can hold myself accountable. But that thorn is still there. Something I inherited. So Nehemiah confesses his family's sins, and then he confesses the people's sins. What things do you need to get off your chest? What burdens do you need to get off? You want some of your parents, you want some of your kids to do great things? Stop being a burden to them. Make the sacrifices in order to get them in the position they need to be to find their talents, gifts, and abilities. Stop introducing people in their life temporarily. And then when they cry out, don't ignore their cries because you're adding more burdens to them. Burdens are going to restrict them from what they're supposed to be doing at school. They're worrying about what's going on at home. <laughs> Nehemiah 8. Kids, I'll take Starburst, okay? Um, as, as thank you. Verse 8. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are the, at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from here and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah is remembering the promises God gave him. He's remembering the promises that God gave Moses. He's remembering the promises that Jeremiah prophesied that the people of Israel returned back to Jerusalem. And he's recalling them and acting up on faith that God's going to stay true to his word. He's remembering those things. And to act on that faith is bold. But when has God let you down? Have you forgotten what he's done for you? What he will do for you? Have you read this? There's scriptures in here of promises. There's ones that I have to remember. I was doing a workout with some of the kids at an FCA camp. And these, most of these kids have spent most of their summer being in shape for the fall season. 
And I'm thinking I can do the workout with them. <laughs> and I did a pretty good job until we got to this running stadium stairs. I had to run stairs whew, since I was in D1 athlete in college. There's, oh man, I haven't done that in a long time. And when my legs felt like jello, it was hot, I'm sweating. I was like, I had to recite Philippians 1, 4, uh, 413. I can do all things with God, it gives me strength. <laughs> the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's John 10, 10. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. That's Matthew. These promises that Nehemiah was reciting, we should be reciting to ourselves all the time. And then they have the faith enough to act on those promises. They're God's people. If no one's going to make a change, why don't you do it? He's giving you the promise. Do something. These promises will give you the perseverance of persevering through those tough times. When people doubt you. When your family members say, oh, you can't do that. Well, why would you want to do that? You're going to leave the safety of your job, the financial security of that, to go do something great? <laughs> I can do all things. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is one who loves me. I'm going to act out on those promises. I guarantee you he'll be ready for the fight. But it's interesting. When I read this the first couple of times, I overlooked the last line. He gives us his title. I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah understood that he can have the king's ear if he needed to. You knew something great? Do something great exactly where you're at now. Do something great exactly where you're at now. If you're a high school student, do something great now. Take that to debate class. Run for Stuco. Do something to put yourself in position to try to do something great and make a change. Invite that kid over who sits by himself all the time at lunch and be a part of your table. Do something great. Right where you're at. It takes a while to be a cupbearer of the king. It means you have a lot of jobs beforehand. He was probably a dishwasher at some point. My very first job, I was a dishwasher at Bob Evans. The lowest job you can have at a restaurant, cleaning up other people's messes. But I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that job now, because now I get to clean up other people's messes. But he has worked his way up to be cupbearer. If you mess up once as cupbearer to the king, you're fired, <laughs> right? But he understood that I'm in a position, God's put me in a position to help utilize my position to do something great. 
And we're going to pick up and see what he does here in Nehemiah chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sat in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid. You know when you're about to do something great, you got those butterflies in your stomach. When you put yourself in position and it's time has come to answer the bell, and that gun goes off and it's time to run that race, there's butterflies in your stomach. Sometimes you're afraid. What if God actually answers my prayer? What if he has the audacity to actually answer my prayer? Some must pray for things, but are afraid to receive it. Maybe it's fear of rejection. Maybe it's fear of getting a yes. Fear of coming across selfish. God, I need these things from you, but I don't want to come across selfish. He placed that burden on your heart for a reason. He wants you to do something about it. Be selfish. There's a book when you get hired on to Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They give you a book to read. One of the books. And the book's titled God Ask. And the whole message of it is, are you going to be bold enough and trust God that he's going to give you the things that you ask for? It's about bringing people in together along with your mission in order to do the God ask, which you, you ask God to do in your life. But there's that fear. And I love Nehemiah was honest. He says, I was afraid. This is a king of an entire nation, one of the largest kingdoms in recent history, modern civilization history. His kingdom was wide, bigger than, at, at one point than Rome itself. I'm just a cupbearer. I can't ask him for things that my people need. Verse 3. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? What is it are you willing to ask God for? What have you asked God? He gave it to you, and you're not doing anything with it. Will you trust in God to provide a way for what he has set you out to do? The king asked, what is it that you want? I have the power and authority to give you anything that you need. What is it that you want? Nehemiah says, Then I pray to the God of heaven. I love this. Because Nehemiah didn't rely on himself. 
to answer. He instinctively goes into prayer, asking for wisdom, asking for guidance, because he knows the task God has set out for him, and he doesn't want to dishonor God or disrespect what God has done for him or is going to do for him by himself getting in the way. Verse 5, And I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter in Asfa, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because of this gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. The reason why he granted his request is because he had a plan to be great. He wasn't just going to let life happen to him and he's going to get whatever he gets. He spent the time and the diligence to before he goes to the king to be ready with an answer. Some of you have gatekeepers on your jobs. You want to do something great, they keep saying no to you because you don't have a plan. How much is it going to cost me? How long will this take? What are we going to get back out of it? How is this going to make our company better? How is this going to serve our workforce? Uh, I don't know. Well, then no, you're not going to get it. You don't have a plan. Young men, young women, have a plan. Don't wait till your senior year to figure it out. You got D's and F's. You're in first three years. You can't play catch up. Have a plan for your life. Figure it out. You really like science? Good. Pursue that. Develop new skills in that field. But don't be lax in language arts. Because it will hinder you. He's a cupbearer. He's not an engineer. He doesn't have a degree in engineering. But guess what? He was prepared. He knew exactly what was needed to rebuild a wall. He must have done some studying on the side. Everything great God has done, he did it according to a plan. This entire book is a plan. It begins, human sin. I have a plan to redeem them. I have a plan through the line of David. I'm going to send a Savior. I have a plan that the people of Jerusalem are going to come back. I have a plan to reconnect and put the sins on Jesus Christ so that I might have favor. I have a plan at the end of the book to come back and bring a new heaven here on earth. He has a plan. Why don't you have one? 
What is your plan to do something great? How can you begin the process of where you are at? You're in middle school, not sure where you're going to be doing? Good. Do some things that challenge you to hopefully get interest in. That's what school is for. To help you learn how to appreciate education, find your strengths and weaknesses, build up the weaknesses, and develop your strengths. That's the goal of school. Your gifts, your passions, your interests, your sensitive subjects, the things that hit close, close to your core, your plan should likely be somewhere in there. It'll be somewhere in there. What God has set out for you, how he's uniquely gifted you, and how he uniquely made you is for a reason. You want to do research to help solve cancer because your grandparents suffered with cancer and it hits you to your core. Good. God gave you that burden. Prepare yourself. That's a big burden. Don't hinder yourself in high school by getting distracted from some girl. Don't hinder yourself because you are disrespectful to your teachers. There's a lot of young people, a lot of talented young people when I was a recruiter in college, and I would go to recruit kids. The very first thing I would do was look up their Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. The very first thing. Many kids disqualify themselves because of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If that's how you represent yourself to the public, how are you gonna represent yourself when you've got my team name on, on your Facebook page? You're not gonna do it. A lot of good kids ruin their opportunity before I even met them. Even more ruin their opportunity when I went to go talk to their coach and their teachers. That's three or four steps before I even talk to the kid or the parents. Because the kids didn't have a plan themselves in high school and middle school, I couldn't make them part of my plan for our school. I couldn't do it. And so some doors were shut. Take education seriously. If you don't, you limit yourself of what great you can do. Young people, I, the reason why I have so many opportunities is because I push myself education-wise. I've developed a skill set. Well, Brother Trevor, I just want to be a plumber. Okay, have you seen how complicated plumbing is? It's going to get more complicated. You're going to continue learning new jobs and new skills your entire life as a plumber, as an electrician. Take education seriously, because if you don't, it's going to be a struggle when you're 50 and you have to learn a whole new system. Because new technologies come out. Solar panels are everywhere. Whatever's going to happen, things are going to change. You're going to learn how to adapt to those things. But if you don't have that foundation of taking education seriously, you're going to limit yourself. 
You're just going to be a cupbearer for the rest of your life. Some of you are currently on that path that God has given you. I beg you, do not get distracted on your path. There are too many people, as I mentioned earlier, ruin themselves because of distractions. R. Kelly's made some great music. I can't listen to it anymore because of decisions he made. He distracted himself. There's a lot of, he's, I love his gospel album. Hard to listen to now because of distractions he has. It's funny, if you continue reading Nehemiah, he has quite a few distractions. The people around him distract him. The people that are there, they like the way the, the city is in ruins, so they're like, why are you doing this? So you try to undermine him and undercut him. He gets lazy at certain points, lets certain things go. The temple starts to fall apart. He ends up making some mistakes. But the biggest mistakes that him, Ezra, and Zerubbabel make, if you read the entire book, is that all their mistakes was because they stopped going to God for it. They stopped asking for wisdom. They stopped. Every single mistake that you read in those, those two books, they did it because they stopped going to God. You want to know what leadership looks like? Keep reading the Bible. There's a lot of examples what to do and what not to do. Be a history and student of this. Be a student of history in the United States. Understand the civil rights movements. Understand certain things. You got a passion about something? Understand why Colin Kaepernick took a knee and why he has no longer has a job. Understand these things. Understand the past and the history. There's some people in this church can tell you exactly what's going on. Because they lived through it. They were in the marches. You might want to ask them some wisdom and guidance. But most importantly, go to God for wisdom and guidance so, so you don't make the same mistakes the ones that came before you did. Don't disrespect God's plan by laziness, not turning in homework. You're disrespecting God's plan for yourself just by simply playing too much Xbox. It's hard for you to open those, God to open those doors up if you can't qualify. Can't get you into college if you have a 12 on your ACT. No matter how good the kid you are and what God has set out for you, the answer will be no. Sorry, there's a community college down the street. Now listen to your parents who are trying to protect you can put some burdens on your life, unnecessary burdens on your life. Listen to them. Yes, it stinks that you get to be home at 11.30 because that's your curfew. They're trying to protect you from adding burdens onto your life. You'll see some classmates 
who have already put burdens on themselves at an early age. Do not make the same mistakes. Do not disrespect God's plans for you. Because he has a plan. He has a plan. He has a plan. Thank you. <laughs> Is this on? I thought I would be on my way out of here, but he's given us enough time that uh, we can stay a few minutes. Brother Trevor's done a very compassion, passionate and powerful message. And one of the things that you want to leave here, don't be a burden for your children. Be a motivator for your children. Be an encourager for your children. There's too much talk about how bad children are. They do what they learned. They do what they taught. And we have some wonderful children in here. And he talked, go ahead. And he talked about what we can do to motivate and to help people be successful. One of the greatest challenges in, uh, as a coach is to get someone to understand how really good they are. One of my greatest accomplishments in life, I'm gonna leave my biological out of it, is when a young man came, nine years, nine years old, got out of the car, a little skinny kid. And for some reason, this kid got really close to me. And for years, this young man allowed, and his parents, and both parents, his parents allowed me to mentor him. And I couldn't be any more prouder than this young man right here. Yes, yes, yes. And they couldn't have done any better job than to pick me for a mentor either. But <laughs> here we go. That's part of the plan, all right? So we, we, our group is going to, we all know that our group is going to Knuckleheads. That's a blues club. And somebody asked me, are they going to a blues club? I said, yeah, my people only go where Jesus will go. We're going to light that place up. And it's a really a blues type place and it's, it's going to be predominantly a white group. And we're going to go in there and do something this country needs. We're going to fellowship together. All right. Here we go. Father God, we come first of all thanking you that your master plan, your master plan brought this young man, Trevor Nerd, into, into my life from the track to the church to the pulpit. And it's an excellent job you've done. But there are many more in the sound of my voice, old and young, that God is not through with them yet. Through this lesson that this young man has given us, let us all take inventory of what God's plan is for us. And many in here that are older, you paralyzed that plan, you stopped, but open it back up. God is not finished with you yet. He still has a plan for you. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a spiritual revelation 
of what his plan is for you and take you to even higher heights than you've been. Young people, you've heard this young man begin to do the work that you need to do to accomplish the things that God has put you here to do. This is what we're about in this church. This is what this message is about. God is not through with anybody in the sound of my voice. He still has a plan. He has a grand plan for us all. Let the Holy Spirit, each individual, let the Holy Spirit reveal to you through spiritual revelation his plan. And be like Nehemiah. And when the crowd hollers to come down and want to talk to you, be like Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, I can't come down to you because I'm doing a great work. That's what we're about in this church. And all in agreement said amen. amen. Reach out and touch. Reach out and touch.